Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the 24th Psalm. Listen now to this word from God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods. They will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift your heads, your gates be lifted up, your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, your gates lift them up, your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Our second reading, as I was just telling the children, comes from Ephesians, the very opening of Ephesians, the first chapter beginning with the third verse. Let us continue listening now for a word from God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us and him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and with his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, Praise God, Now. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit once more that it would take all of these words and it would find order in them for the living of these days. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that through the work of your Spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock 
and our Redeemer. Amen. So I've mentioned from time to time that I grew up with an attorney for a father, which is really just another way of saying I was raised to have a rather vivid imagination about all the different ways I could be sued, arrested, or otherwise maimed and injured in life. So you can appreciate then how July 4th was always a particularly prickly holiday in our house. Questions were frequently bandied about, such as, do you know how many people lose a finger with firecrackers every year? The great downtown Dayton Riverfest fireworks explosion of 1988 was also frequently discussed around July 4th. Needless to say, we loved watching fireworks, but we never set them off ourselves. So you might say I'm growing a bit rebellious in my older years, because for the very first time last weekend, I made that great American pilgrimage to the fireworks store. (laughs) I've grown slightly more comfortable with fireworks over the last four or five years because we have fallen into this tradition where we typically spend that holiday with friends who are quite comfortable and quite good with fireworks. I will say initially my stress level was reduced significantly because both the husband and wife in this family are doctors, so I figured if I did lose a finger, they could quickly reattach it. Now, I'll be honest with you, I still have not quite got to the point where I'm ready to be the one lighting off the fireworks, but I thought going to purchase some was a good first step. Every year at their house, the kids play in the pool, we have dinner, and then as it gets dark, we move outside to the driveway. And this year, we lined up all of our fireworks on the tailgate of his truck, and the kids took turns picking which ones we were going to fire off. We had the little helicopters and the cars that shoot sparks. And there was this one big one. And the kids kept wanting to set this one off every single time. And we kept saying, nope, we're holding it for last. It was our big grand finale. And it was good when we finally got to that point. Lots of sparks, lots of pops, lots of fire, what you expect. It was a fitting grand finale for our July 4th this year. I was thinking about last Sunday, then when I opened up last Monday to these verses from Ephesians, because it's almost as if the author, maybe Paul, maybe a disciple of Paul's writing in his name, the author lines up everything that he wants to to say in Ephesians and then takes a step back and inventories what he's got and thinks to himself, what the heck, I'll just set it all off at once. I mean, were you all able to follow this passage from start to finish? It's bouncing around from one thing to the next. I found out, in fact, that in the Greek, the original language that this passage was written down, verses 3 through 10, have zero punctuation. It's just one long sentence. It's as if Paul is just so excited to to share the good news of Jesus Christ with whoever will listen that he hardly takes time to come up for a breath. 
Right? These opening verses read like this theological and rhetorical fireworks finale on steroids. Praise be to God, he says. Praise be to God for blessing us, for claiming us, for redeeming us, for choosing us before the foundations of the world were even laid. And then there's that language about adoption an inheritance. I was introduced not long ago to the scholar named Sarah Rudin. She has spent most of her life in academia translating and interpreting ancient Greek texts. And one of her discoveries in the course of her research was that there is this common trope in a lot of ancient Greek fiction. It's this fantasy almost that gets incorporated into the plot of so many stories in ancient Greece where the character, the main characters, they have this fantasy of what it would be like to be adopted by a famous rich person, right? It's the ancient equivalent of our present day fantasy about what would it be like to win the lottery, right? Because in the ancient world, upward mobility was not part of anyone's vocabulary. Whatever stature in life you were born into, you weren't leaving unless someone much wealthier, someone much more famous happened to adopt you. Because adoption spelled wealth and security both in the present, but even more so in the future, it guaranteed you an inheritance and honor. So imagine the original audience of this letter reading this language of adoption. Paul saying, listen, it's not just part of your favorite book right now. You have been adopted. Well, that's great. Who adopted me? God. God? Imagine how they must have received that. You have been adopted into God's family. Right? Imagine that inheritance. It's as if the author of Ephesians is trying to hit us all over the head in every way he knows how with the astoundingly good news of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite books that I've read this year is by Craig Barnes. Craig is a name that's familiar to many of us. He is the president of Princeton Theological Seminary, but before that he spent many years in parish ministry. The book that he wrote recently is called Diary of a Pastor's Soul. It is a fictional account, but it draws on the very real experiences throughout Craig's time in the parish. It's written mainly for a clergy audience, but ultimately it is a, a book that speaks about the holy moments in all of our lives. And there's this story in this book about the baptism of a little girl named Denny. Denny was born in India and raised in an orphanage until she was adopted by the mission pastor of one of the congregations that Craig served. It was not an easy adoption. It took over a year, lots of setbacks, lots of curves in the road. Denny had health challenges on top of everything that they knew they would have to address whenever she did come to the States. In Craig's church, they prayed for this little girl before they even knew her name. For over a year, they prayed for this little girl. 
The adoption finally went through and Denny came to live with her new family. And then the day not long after came when she was brought forward to the baptismal font. I got through most of the baptismal liturgy pretty well, Craig writes, but when I saw little Denny in the arms of her father, arms around his neck, and I came to the words about being adopted and to the family of God, the very same words we spoke at Lowry's baptism in this sanctuary this morning. When I got to those words, Craig writes, well, you know, I was done with words. No one offered to take over for me. The congregation just worshiped a while with tears as our silent prayers of gratitude to God. Eventually, Denny's new father poured the water of a holy covenant over the head of his new daughter, and we were all a mess. I had no words. Have you ever noticed how no one talks during fireworks? We all just sort of sit there in quiet awe. Maybe that's what the opening to Ephesians is going for. At once this astoundingly good news of Jesus Christ to wash over us all at once until there simply are no words until all that is left is quiet gratitude. My favorite part of that story is what Barnes shares at the end. He talks about how after her adoption, Denny thrived in her new family. Her health improved, her language and motor skills came along, and she became the star of the church preschool even. And it was the preschool's playground that Craig's office window happened to look out on. And so he talks about how on particularly hard days, he would sometimes just find himself there looking out the window, taking in the play and the squealing laughter of all the children. He said every time he looked out and he saw Denny out there, though, there was something different about her than the other children. The other children would run around and tag each other and whatnot, but Denny, whenever she ran around, she always ran around with her arms straight up over her head. Craig wonders, what's that about? And he says, finally, I realized what it was. It was praise. It was Denny's praise for the love that had claimed her and the love that walked with her and the love that called her to community. It was praise. Did you notice this passage, how it's bracketed? It begins with those words, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the very last sentence, to the praise of his glory. It's praise at the beginning and it's praise at the end. You know, what's interesting, though, is I'm really mindful that this is not really a natural posture for us Presbyterians, is it? We are God's frozen chosen, after all. But when we have been adopted into God's family, when we, you, have been made heirs of God's kingdom, 
when you have been loved even before drawing your first breath, when like Lowry you were washed in the unbounded and wholly undeserved love of Jesus Christ, what is left but to raise our arms and live changed lives of praise, to praise God in our play, to praise God in our work, to praise God in our families, to praise God in our church. What is left but to treat and serve and practice God's welcome in every facet of our being? You know, we saved the best fireworks for last, last Sunday. But if there's one thing that is made clear in these verses from Ephesians, it's that that is not how God operates. God always puts the best first. Praise be to God for news as good as that. So next year when we gather on the driveway to celebrate our nation's independence, maybe I'll be able to convince our friends to start with the big one. And who knows? Maybe even I'll muster up the courage to be the one who lights it. How about you? How about us? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.